0: Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Liz Kelly. We just launched a brand new golf podcast called Fairway Rollin', where Joe House is joined by a rotating cast of Ringer and Golf World personalities every week. They'll break down the latest in golf headlines and news from social media, keep up with everything Tiger Woods, and delve into the world of golf gambling. The first episode was just released earlier this week with new episodes being published every Monday going forward. You can download and subscribe to Fairway Rolling on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I need to have to clear the room.
2: Stand up and walk now hello and welcome to the watch my name is chris ryan i am an editor at TheRinger.com, and joining me on the other line he might be available for batman but you have to talk to his team it's andy greenwald
1: have, have they been floating my name <laughs> i mean i, I they're I looking for I someone,
2: someone in their 20s or 30s go on <laughs> <laughs> who can embody the detective spirit of Batman. We're going to talk about that today. Matt Reeves's Batman is looking for a Batman because Ben Affleck out.
1: Well, I can't wait to talk about that, Chris. I also, although what you just said was interesting because, you know, one of the things that I've learned in my new capacity here is, I, you know, I had to have like, you know, compliance training, like harassment training office stuff uh-huh. where we work for a company here over at the show. Sure. And I didn't know that in the state of California, ageist complaints are viable once someone becomes 40 years old <laughs> so i just say i, saying, saying, I all have this talk actively about, thought
2: about this because like they i get yeah. people take shots at me here because you and i uh-huh. and you know like it, there's a there's a few of us who are gen xers Se- senior staff graybeard, uh-huh. yeah, we're
1: not gen we're not gen xers well we, technically we're xers. aren't we no we are we don't even have one gen x stops people born in like 75 and then whatever millennial starts later, we don't even have a generation, man. So it's That's like Gen Y.
2: Is it Generation Y?
1: No, that was later. Like that starts in eighty. I, we're, we're we're literally. No wonder ruthless. I felt we're,
2: so unmoored. We
1: are generational Ronin, like samurai without masters. Kaya, you're a off.
2: millennial, right?
0: I'm like just barely a millennial. I'm like just on the cusp between millennial and Gen Z.
1: Oh wait wait wait! So you're too young to be a millennial?
0: I'm like I'm <laughs> on the, the very last year that still counts as a millennial. We're, that's me. We're
1: still doing this. <laughs> oh um, um, Greenwald, but you all I'm say- saying, Chris, is I have an ageist complaint for not being considered for Batman. I think I bring a lot to the table.
2: I know, you should You should bring a class action suit for all <laughs> those 40-year-old guys who think that we're Batman. Um, before we get I, into I, that, I, anything I, you wanted to go over?
1: Well, just two, two quick things, two quick things from Room Life. I'm talking to you from my office here, not far from you. Uh, we're in the room, everything's going great. There was this crazy Knicks trade earlier, just moments ago, today. No shit. And our, I know you've been working it, but I just thought you should know that our uh, writer's assistant here in the room a great guy named Jay Franklin who oh, worked yeah. with Bill on his show. He used to work on The Daily Show. We're so lucky to have him. He's great at his job. But he's also a like serious Knicks fan. And he just came into my office ashen and said he needed to go for a walk. And is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> like, this is messing with people's lives. Yeah. Like, I feel... Because the gym, the the mismanagement of the Knicks when you live in New York is, and you're not a Knicks fan, is kind of a funny thing. But now I'm worried about people like this is messing with our productivity.
2: The thing is, is that the Knicks just it's just such a deep state where they just have every Knicks fan is is somehow a member of the media and has a platform f- through which to like broadcast their grief. So it's right. amplified by that. There's not enough Pelicans fans to get upset about Anthony Davis wanting to leave. I can't believe I'm talking about this again. I just feel like I've been talking about NBA trades for Sorry. nine hours. No, I, I just. I, you're the last person on earth who I thought would have, have an anecdote.
1: Well, and the other thing, I just want to let people know that for whatever expectations you have about like the TV business or writers, what it's really like, I just want to confirm some stereotypes are true because I was here the other day. And, um, one of our wonderful writers worked on the show, you're the worst, which is a show that I love very much. And another writer from you're the worst is here working on a different show that's in this facility. I never met him before. came in. We had a very nice talk and, we're right next to each other. So I was like, you know, as a joke, I was like, if you ever need anything, you know, like a LaCroix, just come by our office. And he, we had the whole conversation. We've been talking for 10 minutes. He was just wearing a light, a light jacket. And he reached <laughs> into his light jacket and pulled out a can of LaCroix. <laughs> like, he didn't even come to talk to me without a can of Hollywood's favorite bubble water. And we're not even sponsored by them. No, we're not. But that's really... The work but we're, we're always open so to to
2: work on. with brands uh, to push their message across <laughs> right. on our podcast.
1: Yeah, yes, uh,
2: yes, yes. Andy, so we missed each other on Monday. We're starting to get some interesting TCA news. I think I might save a bunch of those headlines for our Monday podcast next week. Sure. The bigger story that I wanted to talk to you about um, while we still have you.
1: Is, is, is it is it True Detective Season 3, Episode
2: 4? No, I was actually going to talk to you about Batman. I was going to talk to you about this Matt Reeves stuff because pretty much over the last two days. So first, Matt Matt Reeves's Batman got its release date, which is 2021, when we are all serving under Emperor Ben Carson in, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in, in the the Republic of, of of Domino's Pizza or whatever the hell is going to be happening in America in 2021. Mm-hmm. No, Matt Reeves' Batman uh, has been slated to come out in 2021, and then today it was announced that Ben Affleck had sort of officially left uh, the project.
1: Do you you want to talk about what this movie's called?
2: It's called The Batman.
1: The Batman. Yes. Because when superheroes want to be classier, (laughs) they become a the, like the Wolverine.
2: Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It sounds like Matt Reeves' script, it's steeped in Batman's detective noir roots rather than the idea of him as like... uh, Like a kung fu master vigilante, it's more of a like a private eye kind of thing. We'll see what that happens. There also uh, apparently is some debate over at Warner Brothers as to whether or not they get a young Batman or they get a thirty year old Batman. I personally get you
1: a Chris. Why don't you get you a Batman that can do both? Which would be what? I don't know. Well, you you actually had a thought. Well, I was just
2: going to say I don't care. This guy, this kid can be. He can be eighteen. He can be forty two. Just don't do the origin story.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the number one takeaway because. It is not an interesting take. Although, again, if you criticize this take, I will say you're being ageist, and I will have a legal claim against you in California. I don't know. We need more Batman. It's not. I'm not going to do the complete contrarian. Like nobody wants this because people like Batman. People still love reading Batman comics. Tom King just did a great run on the character. There's still more gas in that tank, right? And that's not even including like the various IP demands that are placed on Warner Brothers to keep this stuff, keep this train running. But to your point, I, that's the part of the character that would be interesting to me. And if they really are giving him the freedom to say, here's a, here's a version of the character, which is based in the canon, certain writers' interpretation of the character, and you have the freedom, Matt Reeves, to give us that version since we've never really seen him on screen, that's cool. But the one thing that we never want to see again is Thomas and Martha Wayne yeah. getting gunned down in an alley.
2: Right. Or this kid getting swarmed by bats in a cave.
1: Let's just have a detective who likes to wear masks. Yeah.
2: That's cool. Yeah,
1: let's go with that. So set the terms of debate here. So do you have people you want? Are we talking about who likely will get it? Well, Is, are, are there already Mor- are there, are there Ryan, the lads that
2: the, the television critic Mariah just tossed out Michael B. Jordan. I think that you could make yeah. the argument that uh, Gosh, I mean, there's any number of people that would might be compelling. The, one of the problems is, is that so many people are currently tied up in one way or another or are recovering from their involvement with the Marvel Cinematic Universe that it takes yes. up like 24% of Hollywood's bankable actors. So you can't do a Hemsworth, you can't do an Evans, you can't do... Pine is already in Wonder Woman. It's sort of, sort of fascinating, so it kind of uh, presents an opportunity to uh, basically graduate someone into this role, you know what I mean. Like you right. basically are moving somebody up. But even as you look around, there are so many franchises going on right now. Not that I would say like Timothy Chalamet should be Batman, but that dude's going to be making Dune for a while. Like I, I don't really oh. know where they're going to find somebody who doesn't already oh. have something.
1: Also, to your point, that idea of like let's just big league someone um, didn't work for Solo. You know, no, it, that, didn't. Like, it didn't. It didn't. Although a, I don't. A, I,
2: in retrospect, I'm not sure if that was his fault. Alden I wrong.
1: completely agree, but I think that's going to be the, the takeaway. Um, the Michael B. Jordan idea is pretty awesome. And I would only say do that, but only if you cast Lakeith Stanfield as the Joker, because I would be super into that. <laughs> but, I, but I also think that speaks to a deeper question, which is what we want out of these characters. And I, I definitely, and I'm, I guess if Mo Ryan said it and others on Twitter are saying it, I, I'm probably not alone in saying I'd like to see someone different given the chance to do it. I'd like to see a different version of it. And the one thing that I think is in our favor, uh, in terms of like provable evidence at the box office that people might be interested in a different take on characters or different casting possibilities is the spider verse movie, which I still really want to see. Um, and I haven't, but I do know the miles Morales character that is prominent in the movie. And I was just talking to someone about it here. And, and and her point was as not a big comic book fan, Just you know, but someone who watches the movies, I I liked it because I understood that Miles Morales had a reason to be Spider-Man other than he was a nerd and getting picked on. Yeah. Similarly, the least interesting thing about Bruce Wayne at this point in our culture is he's sad and screwed up because his parents got shot. Like, there has to be another way to consider the vigilante career of a billionaire. You know, it's really funny. So
2: it's been whether it's a testament to like the state of the world or a testament to the pervasive kind of um, the the sheer amount of comic book pop culture that we're presented with I can't remember the last time I actually considered whether or not a superhero went along with the times like you just saying that right there I was like oh yeah we used to sort of wonder about whether or not the X-Men were representative of like a feeling in the world yes
1: Yes, and it said they are now representative of Fox's tenuous hold on Marvel IP. Well, that's a perfect segue um, to the so, thing that
2: I wanted to bring up. I was reading this really compelling. Obviously, every time he does an interview, Steven Soderbergh's really interesting. He went on Bill's podcast. He was excellent there. He had an interview on Deadline today with Mike Fleming from Sundance where he's promoting High Flying Bird, which is coming out next week on Netflix. And we'll probably be talking about that as a bunch of Ringer podcasts will be, and we'll have a lot of stuff about that. But he was talking yeah. a little bit about... Basically, the new realities that are sort of starting to merge with these studios, he's talked about working with Netflix, he talked about running his own distribution uh, company, Fingerprint Films, he's done a lot of different kinds of stuff, and he's continuing to do a lot of different kinds of stuff, but there was something in his interview with Deadline where he sort of alluded to how these studios that make movies are going to have to start operating a little bit more like some of these television companies, often they're housed under the same sort of shingle, but... That there's just going to need to be more because they need to start filling up libraries. If they're going to offer subscription services mm-hmm. to their, yes, to their libraries, they need to populate that to make someone say, "All right, I'll pay nine ninety nine for this again." Now I have like fifteen subscriptions. Now, the reason why I bring that up was it's you said, "Why do we need another Batman?" Or I don't know if we need Batman. And there was also news this week that Universal is like the Dark Universe is not dead yet. Like if something comes up and we're really interested in working with a particular filmmaker and they have a take on Bride of Frankenstein or what have you, like we're open to it. Nothing is truly dead anymore. Like I think that the idea that these franchises will cycle up and cycle down, that we'll ever have a time when people aren't actively pursuing five different Battlestar Galactica adaptations. Like I just think that like this is is the new reality and and it's just becoming more and more apparent.
1: It is, and I think it's a great point to make. It's not, people for a while thought everything, they saw what Marvel did and they were so impressed by it that they thought it was repeatable. And that was locking into a multi-billion dollar, multi-production tentacle, multi-tentacled canon, right? That all these were the the official versions of the characters and they were all going to work together in the same movies building up to these shared universes. And other people tried it, DC tried it, and it didn't work. What did work on the margins was what Fox did, which was a much more scattershot. We're going to make a grown-up Wolverine movie. We're going to make uh, Deadpool and make fun of the other movies that we've made. And we're going to keep making X-Men movies. And that was a lesson, that maybe people aren't as precious about these characters as they thought they were. Yeah. And now Sony did it, too, out of desperation initially with Spider-Man. And now they have ongoing successful franchises with Tom Holland with Marvel, the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. They have Venom, which is a ridiculous idea. But But it it made a billion dollars. And now they have have Spider-Verse. Right. Which flouts that idea of canon. Obviously, it's animated. But this seems to be the way forward. And DC, again, because of the necessities of content building and franchise management, but also just with a big shrug emoji, right? Absolutely.
2: You can have Gotham on TV. You can have yeah. a Warner Brothers streaming service, which is imminent, and will probably have DC content. You could have a. Well, well, there's the DC streaming service already. Right, and right, and right. All that. But like, and you could have the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie coming out, yeah. but also have Jared Leto's Joker in other movies, and yeah, they're just saying, "Hey, screw it. If we own it, we're going to make a lot of it."
1: So quickly, though, I did turn to the room to help me. Do research for this podcast. Oh, great! And uh, just wa- just want to give you some of the names and see what you thought. That, yeah.
2: That oh, this out. is fantastic because I feel like I'm coming my, up a little bit dry
1: my, because we don't we don't really care. I think maybe <laughs> it's these like not quite millennials like Kaya that are super into their Batman content. Michael B. Jordan came up again. Timothy Chalamet came up, but the decision was that he would make an implausible Batman, but a very interesting Bruce Wayne. Okay. Henry Golding from Crazy Rich Asians, who. You know the first two words in that movie's title refer to Bruce Wayne. Why not the third? One I really liked was, was Robert Pattinson, just because he's turned into a pretty interesting actor. Although I don't know, if, are we are we going to outsource Batman to the Brits? Christian Bale kind of did it, but he if you want to go with
2: Bale Pattinson, I have a suggestion yeah. for that. Uh huh. It's James Badge And if you're talking about graduating someone, if you're talking Come about on. putting some what.
1: No, I th- I feel like this guy. Speaking of deep state, people have been pushing James Badge Dale on us for years. What, now you're, James you're Badge Dale is in the I...
2: best movie of 2019 so far. What what's that? The standoff at Sparrow Creek,
1: starring Briar Patch, co-star Brian Garrity and Briar Patch co-star Chris Mulkey. It's, I'm aware.
2: It's just it's the best movie I've seen so far this year. It's it's fucking amazing. Wow. It's an incredible wow. movie. If people have a chance to check that out, it's on iTunes. It is awesome. Wow. And da- and wow. is in- is really 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 good in it.
1: I got two more for you quickly. Okay. Someone because I guess this this actually circles back to your point about who's next and who's still available for a franchise. Someone suggested Lucas Hedges. Ben is Batman. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. Okay. And then the one I like
1: most is uh let's let's really I think it's time to give the brass ring to Swole Dano. I think I think wow. no actor has had a bigger 180 swing in the public consciousness in the last year than Paul Dano, who was just, everyone thought he was just that guy from those run of movies where he was that guy from Little Miss Sunshine and yeah. um, there will be blood. And then all of a sudden he's just, just diesel in escape at Denimore and really good. He directs uh, what's it called? Wildfire yeah, wildlife? wildlife. Yeah. Wildlife, the Richard Ford adaptation with Carrie Mulligan. He got a lot of plaudits for that. And now he's on Broadway in true West and, I know someone here in the room who went into it to see Ethan Hawke and was like, I don't know about Dano and left being like, Dano's my favorite actor. Wow, so, really? Right?
2: This is great stuff. We should just... We should, does your room want to host the watch?
1: Um, yes. <laughs> and I think that honestly would be better for everyone. But I am the oldest person in the room, so I legally cannot be replaced. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't want to keep or else for, a lawsuit. for too, too long. Uh, uh, did you want to drop any true I, detective I, thoughts before I get going?
1: Yes, I, I have... I was thinking a lot about my response to this 76 minute episode of television. And this I was thinking. This is episode four, new, correct? Episode four. Okay. And in my new capacity as a showrunner, I think that I need to be more circumspect in my thoughts. Oh. So.
2: <laughs> that bodes well for us. What I'll say is
1: here's my question. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say things, but my silence speaks volumes. Mm-hmm. And my main question is this In 1980, Arkansas, mm-hmm. When a man and a woman went on a date to a restaurant. And the man is a man, and he's a pizzolato man, so he's going to order a steak and a potato. Yeah. I get it. Are we sure the woman would just get an entree salad? That's a great because question. I don't think entree salads were things in 1980. If right you in If you
2: ate in a restaurant in 1980 and you want to hit us up at the Watch Pod, can you let us know if people <laughs> ate salads back then? Also, especially No, the- no,
1: Chris. <laughs> Chris, not just salads. You could get a salad. Yeah, you'd have a side. You just got to a- she got a pile of lettuce as her meal and acted like she was psyched about it. Yeah. She would have gotten a hamburger patty and a cup of cottage cheese if she was on <laughs> It was 1980. And I just feel like, you know what Bill used to have, uh, Bill Simmons, our, our esteemed boss, would have like, he, he had, what was it? It was the, the, the common sense czar.
2: Yeah, uh, czar of common sense. Franchises. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Czar of common sense. So what I'm saying is, and I mean this with... Vice I mean president
2: of common sense, I think it was called, what he called it.
1: And, and what I'm saying is, for good or for ill, if you are on the ride of True Detective Season 3, you know what motivates the show, and you know what motivates its creator, and what he's interested in. And it's mostly landmines.
0: <laughs>
1: but but, I think that you need someone on set just to be like, she might not just get a salad. Because he's not focused on that. It's a very complicated job, and he directed the episode. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sure. Like, I'm just saying, like, I wish... And I, and I do mean this genuinely, and, I, and it comes from a place of both I'm making a joke and I'm being a little critical, but I also, I, I now worry about this stuff just in terms of keeping track of everything.
2: It's like, it's a great question. Dude, dude, I, I feel like he did stuff, enough, he, stuff. he did enough research that it wouldn't have been left to chance. You know what I mean? He wouldn't have been like, God damn it, we don't have any food here to put in, far, in front of Amelia. <laughs> but, just grab a bunch of romaine and radishes and let's get going.
1: But, it, but it's not just...
2: Because that whole scene accuracy. is like... It's like he's like I'm a beer man tonight, and he she's at, she's like they have like there's something about it where it's like they considered what they were going to be eating.
1: Yeah, I don't mean to say, and I don't mean to put it all on the accuracy of the food. I just mean that, I, 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 I charitably, I don't think Nick Pizzolatto interested in his female characters unless they have souls of horse. Okay, like Lady <laughs> Gummer does. Yes. So I just mean is if his eye is not on that particular ball. I wish there was another voice in the room, and, and I again, I'm only gonna, I'm gonna try to make use I statements as I learned in my freshman dorm, and it's something that I'm trying to be aware of too. Like if I'm really excited about some, you know, conversation or action set piece, I can't overlook the other part of it because. So I just think it speaks not to the inattention of detail because there's a lot of detail on the show. It's just the, the particular inattention to a particular character. Or I feel like I should call my mom and find
2: systemic. out. Like, did you take down an yeah. entree salad in 1980? Maybe I'll do that.
1: Yeah, let's do that. But also in Arkansas, that's the that's the other part.
2: Is that the extent of your observations about episode four?
1: That's the extent I'm comfortable now sharing on this podcast. Yes, <laughs>
2: duly noted.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Okay, uh-huh. Greenwald will be here on Monday. I think we will try to talk about Russian Doll, which is a new series coming out on Ooh. Netflix, uh, directed by Leslie Headland and produced by Leslie Headland and Natasha Leone, who stars in it. And Amy Poehler produced it, and it's fantastic. It is a really really entertaining. Very, very bingeable show. So we'll probably talk about that. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about Velvet Buzzsaw, the uh, the Netflix movie that's coming out tonight. There's, there's also going to be
1: a lot of commercials for movies we and trailers love and stuff.
2: Breaking right? down the semiotics of advertising.
1: <laughs> Unless it's LaCroix water, in so which
2: case. We'll, I'll see you bright and early on Monday morning. I know Kaya can't wait. That commute, she's loving it. We'll talk to you on Monday. <laughs>
1: But she's so much younger than I even realized she's I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Great job, Granskis. Bye.
2: Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by ADT. ADT Real Protection. When it comes to something as important as your family's safety, you deserve real protection from ADT. Real protection means the nation's number one smart home security provider is standing by and there for you when you need them. Real protection means having a safe and smart home with everything from video doorbells, surveillance cameras, smart locks, lights, carbon monoxide, and smoke detectors in a system that's custom designed to fit your lifestyle. And setting up your custom automation to do things like lock the doors and set the thermostat when you leave. Real protection means staying safe on the go, in the car, or when your kids are at school with the ADT Go app and SOS button. Real protection means 18,000 employees safeguarding you. Real protection means direct connections with first responders. No matter how you define safety for you, your family, or your business, ADT is there. ADT, real protection. Visit ADT.com slash podcast to learn more about how ADT can design and install a secure smart home just for you. Now I'm joined by my flat circle True Detective yes. after show co-host Jason Concepcion, who's had a very long day. It's been a it's been a really rough His two and a half hours. Soul has been excavated by this Kristeps Porzingis trade. My soul has been traded for cap space. <laughs> um, I wanted Jason to come on. We're going to talk a little bit about Dune, which uh, continues to keep casting folks. Spice in, must flow. And. Uh, Denis Villeneuve's adaptation of Frank Herbert's novel but I also just wanted to have like a little bit more of a casual conversation about True Detective yeah man Greenwald just uh, came on and his um, main point was that in episode 4 he doesn't find it particularly believable that Amelia would be eating an entree salad (laughs) (laughs) in Arkansas in 1980 and I told him I was going to call my mom to find out if she ever had entree salads in 1980 but he shook me a little bit with that that observation that's such a
0: great point yeah then again, she's fr- spent a lot of time in California. Maybe she, you know, like. But like in 80, are we even in the place where you can get an entree salad? No, definitely not. Like that's the salad there is going to be some a very wilted lettuce and like canned fruit. Like maybe they do a cob. Maybe Maybe a, co- maybe a cob. I, uh, it's it, a great point. It, it shook me it, up. But this is why Andy Greenwald is is doing big things right now in the television space <laughs> because he notices
2: stuff like this. I just can't wait to watch Briar Patch and be like, I can't believe she's eating a yogurt. Nobody would do that. Not in the back of a lift. Um, Jason, one of the things that happens when we do after shows mm-hmm. is that you get so deep, especially with like Thrones and with True Detective when they're, you're trying to like kind of figure a lot of stuff out, is that you get so deep it's hard to like step back and see it as like a show. Yeah. Have you been like? I wouldn't say like have you have you been enjoying True Detective this season? But like when we're watching it, it doesn't feel slow. No, because
0: no, because no, no. I think
2: we're looking at every part of the frame. Yeah, but like that's been the main
0: critique of it this season is that it's slow. Yeah, it's dragging a little bit. I can not I, d- I think that it this season has been exceptionally self aware about what the brand of true detective is as yeah. established by season one there there's a lot of visual clues context clues uh clues in the way they shoot things that are there seemingly and are there in order to gin up excitement and theorizing and i really like that i guess you know i could see from the outside looking in that okay not a lot happens mm-hmm. we still have zero idea who the suspect who killed Will and potentially kidnapped Julia could be we there are a lot of holes in what we're seeing we haven't Hoyt has not come back from safari yet but i think overall you know true detective at least for me especially in season 1 was like less about less about the procedural and more about the vibe mm-hmm. more about like scratching these surfaces of american life and just finding darkness everywhere yeah and i think that's something that they've really conveyed with this season.
2: And I, I know that some people have said, like, with the three timelines, that it's, like, unnecessarily complicated and flashy, but I think it's supposed to be kind of drawing these parallels between I agree. the Mahershala Ali character, Wayne's degrading mental yeah. faculties, and the kind of degradation of, like, that area of America from 1980 to 2015 and kind of, like, what happened to the country over the course of... Of that time period, so it, that to me has been kind of fascinating, even if it's not always explicit in the show. And the other thing is that I think that if you're if you're wiping True Detective season two off the map, and you're just comparing it to one in one, by this point, I think we had had the stash house heist, right? That was up and four. the Reggie right. Ledoux confrontation, right. which both of which were extremely fucking lit. And you had Fukunaga kind of operating at the top of his powers, yep. and we had not really seen this Pizzolatto language kind of being played out like yep. this. So I can see why maybe people are like, "There's not enough like action in it." But I, I, I don't know. There, it's it's a different kind of sh- it's a different kind of show now.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, you know, I think that there are a lot of spaces where this is this season is as interesting and maybe even more interesting than season one. I think the um, the way that this this show approaches race and the way Wayne feels in the context of this small town, the way Wayne and Amelia respond to each other in the context of this small town, I think it's really interesting. The way that, as you said, the degradation of Wayne's mind paralleling the kind of degradation of the town, I think that there's there's a lot of these little loops within this season that I think are really, some of them are subtle, some of them not so much, but I think they they're really interesting in a lot of ways, like Wayne falling for a true crime writer, mm-hmm. and then we th- believe his son also f- falling for a true crime reporter. yeah. Like all these little loops are quite interesting. And another thing that another thing that really hooked me about season one, and I think you probably agree, is this kind of philosophical exploration about like what it means to exist. On Mm -hmm. Earth, you know, do, do the structures we create to bring justice and and enforce laws are they are they as pure as we think, or do you have to be corrupt in order to bring justice? Yes, and I think, you know, Wayne has clearly. Wayne and Roland have both clearly gone over the line multiple times. We saw them beat a suspect who, it turns out, had nothing to do with the crimes. Uh, We suspect that they're going to murder at least one other witness in the course of trying to investigate this wide-ranging conspiracy. And yet we totally ally with them in that mission because that's what it takes to bring— the bad people to justice. Right. It's the idea is like, there are no,
2: do you think you're a good man? And he's like, there are right. like, we, the world needs bad men. They keep other bad men from the door, you know, like, yeah. And that's, that's much, that's the line from True Detective season one.
0: And that's much more interesting than, uh, you know, than the kind of season two thing, which is like these, just these purely damaged people doing damaged people things. Whereas, um, season three, at least for me, really asks you to, to think about, you know what does it mean to be what does it mean to be the true detective? What does it mean to really try to bring justice into the world within structures that were created unjustly? Mm-hmm. And that's, well, that's I, the, I love thinking about that. You mentioned the structures. I mean, for me, season one.
2: You know, there's when you go back and rewatch, and you watch the Shea Wiggum preacher character yeah. and the Billy Lee Tuttle evangelist character, and you see basically the cynicism and nihilism that. That the Matthew McConaughey character approaches all of the religious sort of infrastructure around mm-hmm. that area with is just kind of like this is all bullshit. These right. belief systems are all bullshit, and it's basically like you see in the same way. Like if it basically asks you to believe, if there's such an elaborate system of religious belief, like in in nominally for the forces of good, by proxy there needs to be the same one for the forces of evil, right? And that the, these these two. Systems intersect in this place in Louisiana and that the only person who can actually see it is this guy Russ and he's going to help his friend Marty see it as well. This season is almost more... I, I, it's It's telling that it's like looking back at 2015 or 2014 when the first season aired because it almost feels like a narrator or an author trying to piece together a mystery story out of an unreliable mind. Yeah. And it's like what really is a mystery story? What really is a detective story when it's a detective who's not sure whether or not he's in any one given timeline, whether he can reliably depend on his memories of his wife, of his children, of the case, of his partner, of what he's done, as we're going to keep seeing as we go through the season. So, Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes
0: I wish Carrie Fukunaga was directing, but I'm always thinking about this shit, which and, I'm not with other TV shows. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a great point because, like, in a lot of, in a kind of grand sense, the big, the central mystery of this season is purely centered on Wayne and his memory. Yeah, and who is he and what did he do? It's less about the case. I mean, one of the theories that I really like that's out there on Reddit is. That Wayne solved the case. He solved it in 90 Uh and wasn't able to prosecute it or bring it to justice and now has forgotten Mm -hmm. that he did it. Yeah. Which would be a really fascinating turn. Yeah. I mean,
2: we've already seen this guy show up in places and not know how he got there. So it'll be fascinating to see how it plays out in the second half of the season. The flat circle is actually going up on Friday because HBO is putting out the episode of True Detective on Friday on go and on now and on demand mm-hmm. because Super Bowl is on Sunday. So you'll be able to watch us whenever you get to get True Detective. It's kind of fascinating that, that they're doing that because I wonder whether or not that's going to happen more and more in a post-Thrones world Yeah, as they kind of maybe ramp up production to keep up with some of these other streaming platforms like if... I don't know, True Detective Season 4 just goes up as eight episodes all at once, or like, what? I don't know if they'd ever do that, but it's pretty fascinating to watch them kind of change their way they do things. Yeah,
0: I wonder who the first one, uh, you know, whether it's Netflix that decides that it's finally landed the Game of Thrones killer and, and is like, okay, watch this, we're going to do it uh, once a week uh-huh. or once a month or right. whatever it is. Or whether it's going to be HBO that with a smaller property is like, what if we gave these all yeah. to you? All what at if once? we put crashing up all yeah, yeah. at once
2: or something like that?
0: Okay. Before we go, Andy and I talked a little
2: bit about the Batman earlier, about Matt Reeves and and mm-hmm. uh, Affleck leaving the project and who may or may not be the Batman. But the other big sort of franchise possibility yes. that's been talked about a lot this week is the continue they continue to cast Dune. The so, spice must flow. So they have Chalamet. They've got Zendaya. Uh, young Atreides. Uh, they can't
0: cast somebody else? Well, Oscar Isaac is rumored. Oh, and Oscar Isaac like... would play Paul's uncle? It, no, no. Duke Leo Atreides, who's Paul's father. Okay. They've
2: hired Charlotte Rampling, Dave Bautista, Stellan <laughs> Skarsgård, Oscar Isaac, Zendaya, and of course, uh, Chalamet. I'm not sure if they're shooting this back-to-back like they're doing too. That was a rumor for a while. Dune is like crushed some Filmmakers in the past that they're trying to make in, in their attempts to make this. Yodorowsky, uh, you know, yes. famously tried to do it. Lynch took years for him to kind of get his stuff and back that together. Is
0: a, I mean, I will stand for the Lynch Dune because it is so freaking weird, yeah. but it is also just an absolute mess. But yeah. it's so strange, it's so bizarre. Yeah. That's the one staying in common with the yes. and everybody. Um, you do a lot of like,
2: I mean, you guys just finished. About mm-hmm. Harry Potter, congratulations! Thank on you that. So much. You made me want to Appreciate check that out in the New York Times. They had a great interview with Jason and Mallory great about that Great
0: picture of us looking absolutely insane.
2: Does
0: Dune have like this kind of like huge adaptation potential to you in 2019? Oh, yeah. I think so. I think so. I I would love to see it as a TV show. I was sci-fi. Tried it, you know, but I think the issue with it, especially in a movie kind of format, is just it's incredibly dense. You know, it's Game of Thrones kind of dense. Mm-hmm. With um, you're talking about. These cultures based on multiple planets and the, the way these cultures evolve together. You're talking about a far flung future where basically human beings are trained to be thinking computers. There's just a lot of lore to download, mm-hmm. and in the space of a movie, it feels like a lot to do. And then, especially when you start moving into the, you know, the second and third books that are less popular, less probably. popular. I mean. The second book is interesting. They're all good. But the second book really subverts what you expect of Paul Atreides coming off of Dune. It it makes him essentially like into a madman, you know, whereas like at the end of one, you're like, oh, my God, this is great. Like he just conquered the empire. Right. His character kind of changes. And then like
2: how many generations of, of like characters? Out,
0: it goes out like clones upon clones upon really? clones,
2: yes. Because that's one of the things that's interesting about Potter and Thrones is, you know, the each sequel would pick up more and more fans, and then there are other franchises that have a little bit of, like, their, their sort of currency market starts to go down yeah. a little bit in terms of fan interest. My mom read all of these. I remember them just like these beaten-up paperbacks always sitting around, and it was like, whatever, like Son of Doom yeah. or whatever the, the the sequels were called. Villeneuve is literally the perfect person to make this movie. I
0: agree. The first book, especially, is an achievement. It's just so lived in and... So detailed in a way that it's really remarkable. I I, th- I will say that one um, – in one respect, I think this is the perfect time and for this IP to hit is that it really had a very strong ecological message. Yeah. You know, because, like, Arrakis was this desert planet that these Fedayeen were very slowly trying to make a green planet, mm-hmm. um, and that threatened – the supply of spice into the empire which spice was like very important for traveling across galaxies so um, and psychic capabilities yeah, and stuff like that so yeah. I think that kind of stuff is uh, quite germane right now you know these kind of ecological themes
2: okay I'm gonna let you go back to your grieving process it's very tough right now uh, thank you so much for joining me again Flat Circle Friday night after True Detective goes up on HBO Go demand and now and then you can also watch us Sunday after its uh, terrestrial airing Uh Ooh. Thanks for joining me, man. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Monday. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by ADT Real Protection. When it comes to something as important as your family's safety, you deserve real protection from ADT. Real protection means the nation's number one smart home security provider is there for you when you need them. Real protection means 18,000 employees safeguarding you. No matter how you define safety, ADT is there. ADT Real Protection. Visit ADT.com slash podcast to learn more about how ADT can design and install a secure smart home just for you.